Last week, church, I did something very wrong. I've been told. Bad. Shouldn't do. I began a story I didn't finish. Just a little story at the beginning of the sermon. But it's generated enough conversation this week from people, at least I know you listened the first five minutes of the sermon because the phone calls and conversations have been, but what about the girl holding the hot drink when she asked you about Adventist Christians? What, what did you say? And I never intended in the sermon to say what I said, as you thought, Steve Narati doesn't really matter what I said, because when it's your time, you'll have to say what you're going to say. But so we all feel better. Here's what I said. Because I was watching her body language, because I know just enough about her that her grandmother has rented from an Adventist church. The Sunday church rents the Kansas Avenue Church in Riverside. That's where they'd heard the word Adventist. And because I took that serious, that part serious, when she said, well, how are you different as an Adventist Christian? I took a breath and gave the quickest Bible study I've ever given. 30 seconds is what I said. I have an experience that tells me God loves us more than we've begun to describe. That that love is so broad and deep and it applies to every human being that whatever we're going to live for through between now and the eternity God's going to live with us. Because of this great love, he could never conceive of or sustain a place like hell that burns people. Because of his love, everything in my life is really a response. My resources, my talents, my time, which is why 24 hours out of the week, I pause and take a break to spend with God. And I am not my own in this world. I'm on God's agenda. Everything I do is directed by this God who loves me. Now, when you've sweated out like that, you're waiting for the response. She says to me, oh, you're really not so different. Which is kind of good, isn't it? You'd, you'd like them to think we're really not so different. Very good for my little ears raised in a church that taught me to be a peculiar person. It was really kind of nice to hear her say, you're not so different. She could perhaps see a connection, a bridge to, into my community. You see, I don't think there is a right answer. It just depends when it's your time to answer what the Spirit gives you. Depending upon the unique circumstance and the unique person in front of you, God will give you an answer. The question today we're asking in the last part of this series is really then, who is in your vision? When you get that opportunity to share your faith story, who is it in your vision? Who's in your circle? Who's on your horizon? You see, right now, could be somebody who might be interested in the God you know. We'll take our teaching this morning from Luke chapter 5, and the story begins with the words, now after... After what? After a healing. Jesus had healed someone with leprosy. He'd healed a, a crippled man. Luke 5, beginning in verse 27, says, After this, after these healings, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at a tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. Levi got up and left everything and followed him. 
Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, who belonged to their sect, complained to the disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've come not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now it is early in the gospel story in Luke chapter 5 here. Peter, James, and John have been called. They've had their moment with Jesus, which ends in the words we know so well, I will make you fishers of men, people, human beings. And it is fairly clear soon after the kinds of people they're to fish for as Jesus heals the leper and the cripple. And now in front of them is Matthew Levi, a tax collector. He sits in a tax booth at the edge of the city, well-placed there. It is his job to take money from people. I hope it is not too soon after April 15 to hear IRS agent. It's what he is. He's, he's determining what people will pay, and if he can get a little extra, he can keep it, which is why no one likes him. It's why he's known to be hated and deceitful and a sinner. And this is who Jesus calls this sinner, Levi Matthew, with the dirty hands. Now, I know growing up in the church and reading the story of the call of the disciples, and Matthew in particular, a few things I know from the passage well from my upbringing. First of all, Matthew is a sinner and is deceitful, and he's probably rather wealthy. So when he leaves everything, he's left a lot. He's hated for a good reason because he, he takes what doesn't belong to him. And he's the most unlikely candidate, but yet Jesus goes after him, which seems to be what Jesus does, go after people just like this. And the response seems to be from the religious type, anger and frustration. Jesus, why do you keep going after these people? However, Matthew, Levi Matthew's gesture here in Luke chapter 5 is equal to what we studied last week, John 4, the woman who laid her pots down, set them down, ran back to her village, and in one sentence communicated her entire faith story, come see the man who told me everything I ever did. Levi Matthew's gesture is just as significant in this text, and it's easy to read right over top. But go back to verse 29, chapter 5, verse 29, and read again what Matthew did. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with him. He throws a party. He opens up his home. Your Bible will say he threw a banquet or a feast. It's only one of two times this word is used in the Bible, the entire New Testament, twice here in Luke. It's a unique gesture of extending himself. We've been taught in Christian tradition that it's probably extravagant. It's a big party because Levi is wealthy. And he's invited people, other people, just like him. It's probably less significant the nature of the party. If it's a huge feast, it's much more significant the gutsy invitation. Levi Matthew invites other tax collectors, other people just like him, and they sit and they eat together with Jesus. Now, you can call these Matthew parties, as Bill Heibel does in the curriculum that some of us are studying in our small groups, Matthew parties. 
a Matthew party has a few characteristics. One is the guest list. Usually the guest list is full of all sorts of people we wouldn't expect Jesus to eat with. But it's also weighted that way. You notice it's a whole lot of tax collectors and a few others, which means those folks are going to be rather comfortable because they are with people just like them. It isn't a a lot of disciples and a few tax collectors. It's the other way around. A Matthew party pays attention to the balance of the guest lifts, making sure that those who are invited are going to be comfortable. A Matthew party also pays attention to its location. Do you see that they're in Matthew's home? They've been invited to eat with him, and chances are, if they're friends, if they work together, they've already been in his home. They've probably already eaten together. So they, there should be a level of comfort there. They know, it, they know each other. They're not invited to the synagogue, to the temple, to come and observe a religious um, ritual that, that Matthew does. No, they're invited into the home to eat. A Matthew party also has a guest list that would make some of us cringe. The tax collectors, the sinners, the the people that Jesus is with. And I'm not sure why I, I continue to be amazed as I study Jesus, how persistent he is at hanging out with these folks. I don't know why it continues to surprise me, but the guest list is not bothering Jesus. It just seems to bother the rest of us. The tax collectors and Jesus are quite comfortable together. At a Matthew party, anybody is welcome. There isn't anyone you or I could think to invite that wouldn't be comfortable, that God would say, get them off the guest list. Everybody is open. Open invitation at a Matthew party. And I really do believe that perhaps the biggest struggle we may have is getting used to the guest list ourselves. I've been engaged in a conversation with one of the church members here when we began this sermon series, and I said, uh, you know, anybody really ought to be welcome in this church, and, and I've been challenged on that. Well, really, are we a place that just anybody can come? And uh, this, this person, you know, pointed down the street to Set Free Ministries and said, now there's a good example of a ministry that exists for, you know, people that are a specific place and they can speak the language and nurture. And, and so I decided to go down to Set Free Ministries last Sunday and worship with them with all the motorcycles parked out in front, with the motorcycle club Sinners Forgiven. And I walked in in my jeans on Sunday morning, threw a whole lot of tattoos and vests and blue jeans into a, into a warehouse. Anybody been down the street to our friend's worship service? And I walked into a, a warehouse that's been converted with overhead steam pipes and all painted and about eight television screens with a huge praise band up front, big black letters that, say, that said, Set Free Rocks. And I thought to myself, I can do this. Fourth generation Adventist, I can do this. And the music began, and on the computer screen, the screen's hanging down, there are flames like this around the singer. (laughs) The lead singer's right in the middle, screaming into his mic about Jesus. And the flames are just going, and the volume level is up, and I know I can do this. And I'm looking around the room going, man alive, are we not the same? (laughs) Wow. There was a communion table down front with a white cloth. We are the same. 
I left on Sunday after about 40 minutes realizing that I am the one challenged with the guest list. God is okay. So to get at the guest list in the world, last week I just briefly mentioned uh, the way we communicate, the language and our actions in the world. Are we speaking and acting a language that the, the world can hear, that they can understand? Are we able to connect in a world that is moving so quickly, that's so highly pluralistic and so increasingly polarized? Are we going to be able to connect in this world with our message? If I can't even feel at home down the street. Communication moving so quickly in our world. You know, my cell phone broke when we were up at Pine Springs two weeks ago for church retreat. Some of you might be thinking that's a a vacation when your cell phone breaks. It's not good for us when our cell phones... uh, Mine had a terminal event, I could say. This is not it. I had a a phone that died. I took it into Verizon. When we came back down off the hill, they looked at it and said, you're going to need a new phone. But I said, it's okay. I've got one laying around the house. I've been waiting to activate. This belonged to my husband. He upgraded a few months ago. This has been just laying there, this palm trio, just speaking to me. It's better than what I was using. So I took it to Verizon for them to activate. The the clerk took it out of my hand. The 20-year-old clerk looked at it and said, this is old. I said, well, it's not that old. It's been laying around the house six months, and she turned it every direction. She said, no, this is old. What model is this? I said, I don't have a clue. It's been around the house a couple years, that's all. She calls for help. Another guy walks up, takes the palm, looks at it. He goes, this is really old. (laughs) Got the message. I said, the point is, can we activate it? Sure. They go to turn it on. The battery's dead. All we have to do is plug it in, right, to the outlet. This is really old. We don't have a way to charge this. It's so old. I said, y'all, it's been sitting around six months. They call for a manager. He looks at it. Ah, that's a 600. Lady, those are old. Old. You know, it's as if they're just speaking right into my face. You are old. You are old. You are so old. Just throw it away. What they don't know is I'm really cheap. (laughs) And I went home and spent three hours and turned the house upside down and found the adapter, plugged it in, programmed it. Forget it. Old can work, right? Have to be able to communicate in my world. I have to be able to speak a language and act a language that the world I live in can hear. I can't be cut off. I can't be left in isolation. Living in the multitasking world that we live in, the world doesn't even realize how multitasked it is. DWT law passed yesterday in Washington State. You can get a ticket for driving while texting now. So no texting while you're on the road, folks. We don't even know how multitasked our world is. What is the language that I speak and the culture that I live in where the connection can happen? It was an interesting meeting a couple of weeks ago when I met with the pastors from our Ukaipa church, our sister church here. We were meeting at our 
regional offices in um, Riverside with a lot of other pastors from the area talking about this idea of evangelism. How is it we're going to share the good God we know with the people living far from God? And how does that work in North America in the 21st century? Some of you raised the question to the staff, the pastoral staff, months ago. Why aren't we participating in the satellite meetings in the fall? The Ukaipa Church was doing that, and so they opened their doors, and we shared locations with them. But listen to what I heard from the Ukaipa staff as a result of those meetings in the fall and what I hear not only other pastors saying in our conference, but even the professional evangelists hired by our conference office, three of them all saying the same thing. When we open the doors and pipe in a guest evangelist like that, do you know who comes? We come. The believers come. The baptized come. We want to hear our message that way again and again, but it seems like not too many other people do. And beyond that, we heard testimony from a few other churches that said, we worked very hard. In fact, one church, Western Riverside County, got about a hundred of their unchurched, some non-Christian friends to come to these meetings. And they were so proud and so eager for what God was going to do until they got to the night where the sermon topic was the rapture. And what happened in that conversation that night was so offensive they lost almost all of those 100 people because what we said about the rapture was so hard for them to hear and so offensive that church is still trying to figure out how to get those people back they still can't get them to come to an invitation for almost anything why is that so offensive by the way because what is the world reading what is the most popular seller left behind And we stand up and proclaim doctrine that smashes rapture theology. And if we're going to do that, my goodness, how careful does that conversation need to be? Event evangelism, they call it, and everyone in North America at least is struggling with, well, then what would we do next if this isn't as effective anymore? Our conference office says, we don't care, just do something. Try something. What is it if it's not that? It feels a little like beating up on our roots when I even bring up the topic because something that has been precious and that has worked well and still works in parts of the world, when it doesn't work here, it it feels like we're attacking. Actually, it is what a prophetic remnant is supposed to do. It's supposed to continue asking, how is it we take eternal principles and reach the world where we live? It's what we're about. Matthew parties are one way of doing that. We know that people in the world are more likely, your friends are more likely to listen to you than any other guest evangelist we bring into this place. We know that finding them in a location where they're comfortable, perhaps in your home or their home, where everyone can be on equal ground, where the guest list is not weighted, all the Christians and just a couple of unchurched, we know that being careful to that is effective and has potential in our world today. We know that uh, Matthew parties, in whatever form you can dream them up, can speak to our world where We're all speaking different languages right now. A Matthew party. Our general conference president, Jan Paulson, 
held a chat session at Pacific Union College a few weekends ago. Our own Pastor Dustin was the host. Some of you may have watched on the Hope Channel. Um, it was interesting. Jan Paulson was talk, speaking about the importance of compassionate involvement in our communities and the concern he hears some people express that if we get too involved in our communities out there, we may lose our distinct, unique beliefs. Here was his response. You know who you are. You know who you worship. You know where you belong and what your values are, so please allow yourself to be drawn with a sense of security and strength into the lives of others. He went on to ask, who do you invite for lunch? Who do you invite for supper on a Saturday night? I'll bet it's people, your friend, your own friends. What about the people you know in the community? Begin a dialogue, he said. Engage them. If you want to, do it. He advocated a gospel of deed rather than word that eliminates an us-versus-them mentality. That's a powerful last line. A gospel of deed rather than word for Adventist Christians that eliminates an us-versus-them mentality. A Matthew party eliminates an us-versus-them mentality. Whether you do it in a small group setting, maybe you take the small Bible study group you've been in now for these weeks and you split it up with the purpose of going after your own separate friends and inviting them into an environment that will be comfortable. Maybe it happens on your own neighborhood somehow this summer with a, a block party or a pool party or a barbecue. Maybe it happens over at the plantations in the meeting hall that you just call a party and invite the people who live around you. Like I said, I can't even begin to imagine of the creative ways you can create Matthew party environments, but I believe they work. Let me give you just a little sample of a Matthew party as interpreted by the academy students here at Mesa Grande. You've heard us speak a little of our trailer park project while they're queuing the video. Judy Yakish has led out in this project where we've selected just one trailer park out of 50 in the Yukaipa Valley, one out of 50, where the kids go one Friday, the end of the month. There they are at Christmas time where they wrapped bread and gifts, made sure every child in the trailer park also had a gift for the holidays. Judy Akish has been the one who rolled up her sleeves and made sure this happened. And we need help for the summer, by the way. Would you see Judy or I after church or in the next few weeks? This has been the academy students, but it really needs to be us. We found 50 trailer parks full of people on limited incomes falling out of compliance, and she just took one. Went and knocked on the doors and found widows and sick people and single parents. And, and one Friday a month, we do this on their territory. You'll listen to the stories from these people. And goodness, you should just get a phone call from Judy the day after Trailer Park Day. <laughs> these are, have become her special friends, these, these people who live there. She makes them waffles on Sunday morning, for goodness sakes. You hear the stories that come out of their mouth, Mary Lou in my section where I go, on an oxygen tank with obstructive pulmonary disease who says, you bring me more hope in one day than I had in 10 years. 
a lady named Diana who lives in another part of the park who moved in two months before the kids started their work, moved in fresh in a divorce situation, relocated for the third time with health concerns, with financial pressures, living in a trailer where she sees a group of academy kids walking in and breaking up the concrete and raking things. And she told Judy just recently, you have no idea what happened to me the first time you came here. When I looked out and saw what these kids were doing in our park, I thought, I can make it. If these kids can come and do this, I know I'm going to be okay. I have hope. She's now taken to weeding other people's yards around her and and helping the little that she can. Powerful, powerful experiences. Just the last time I was there, a woman said to me, would you mind asking your church to pray for me? She doesn't know I'm a pastor. I will work eight months for that. Would you ask your church to pray for me? So some came and joined us for early church during the holidays. Some came to the Christmas concert. Bob and Alice gave us a few tickets to pass out. That is a Matthew party. They become our friends. And when enough of you sign up to help us right there, we have 20 more parks, don't we, Judy? Don't roll your eyes now, Judy. Don't give out now. You're going good. Don't give out now. Ron, would you come join me? This is another example of the project Judy has started. This is Ron Wood. He's the pastor from the well. Would you make him feel welcome? Ron, Ron meets with the group that rents our facility on Sundays called The Well. And he agreed to come so we could ask a few questions about what happens here on Sunday morning while we're all at home relaxing. And he, you know, he asked me what the dress code was, and I told him that we wear heels. And you said, if I recall... Something like no way. (laughs) Something like no way. So I took off my jacket and brought you an extra pair of heels in case you change your mind. We can talk about that. (laughs) Would you tell the group here, Ron, what is it that that happened inside of you and your wife that you ended up in my office a year ago asking to put a sign out and rent this church? Well, um, I'd been a teacher for 21 years and doing part-time ministry uh, as a youth pastor and an associate pastor, and uh, we had moved to a new area um, over in um, Oak Valley, and we really felt a calling by God to start a church that would minister specifically in that area. And we began a a Bible study with um, just a few of our close friends, and um, it just kind of mushroomed out, and God was doing some great things. It was 20 people in his living room. What he's not telling you, you are how many people now? Well, we average about 150 on a Sunday when we, when we come in. That's in less than a year. Right under your roof, church. See, the roof we paid for, is that what yeah, you yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Danny. <laughs> and and I, I just want to bring greetings from our congregation to yours. And... And we wanted to say thank you for your generosity and your, um, your graciousness about allowing us to be here. Um, people are coming to know God mm. through your, your allowing us to come and be in your house. And I know it's difficult to have um, house guests, and, but we appreciate it so much. And I just wanted to say thank you for that. Thank you. You're welcome. In the front row, he has his worship pastor, Tom, sitting here. Morning, Tom. You just give us a wave, too. 
They are building towards a pastoral staff of about three or four now. You're headed that direction? We have four on staff, one full-time and three part-time, and then a part-time secretary now as well. So With big, fat salaries, right, Tom? Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Let me take a few guesses now, Ron. Would you just let me imagine with you and with the church here, okay. you're 150 people meeting here in our sanctuary. I'm going to guess that they heard there was a dynamic new speaker in the Ukaipa Valley, and people started driving from Colton all the way out Beaumont to come and hear you preach. Uh, no, actually not. It was not that no. at all. You did a drawing and said you're going to give away iPods and laptops to anybody who will stay for the first year. No. No. Wasn't that either. Sorry. On Super Bowl weekend, uh, during the NBA championships here, you just you cut straight to the championship game and you don't preach. Uh, no. 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 You, let me guess, it's the children's program. That you've just got a top-notch Baby Einstein Montessori-style thing going for the children and all the families came out to find the best new children's program. No, 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 no. Your kids in the youth room do Dance Dance Revolution and they eat candy and soda. Is that it? No, no. it's not that either. He doesn't know Dance Dance Revolution, <laughs> but you do. Uh, no, it's, we're Baptists, you know. We, Baptist. don't, we just don't dance very well, so. It's okay, we don't know how to do it either. Okay, okay. <laughs> The set free guys, though, they, 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 they can dance. <laughs> they dance. So would you tell our church, what, why do you think 150 people come here on Sundays? Well, I, I, I really believe that, that what is happening in our congregation is, is that God is moving. And he has graciously invited us to, to move along with him. Mm. And um, it, it's, a, it's about an extraordinary God using ordinary people to accomplish great results. Mm. And we are just, we are, we are, you know, when I look out at you, I, I see us. I don't see you and us, I see just us. And, and we're, we're the same. And, um, and, and, and what I see is God using folks like us to accomplish what he wants to do. And he's asked us to come along and join him in ministry. And that's what we're doing. And I think that invitation is for all of us, for, for Adventists and Baptists and Methodists and Calvary Chapel, all of us. We all want the same goal. We want people to, to come to know God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Can I pray with you Please. before we say Please goodbye do. and thank Please. you? God, wow, listen to this God story that's unfolding right here under our roof. We give you thanks that, that you've empowered and given courage to Ron and his wife and Tom and the rest of the team that they're willing to grab a hold and go where the Spirit takes them. I ask you to continue to unfold wisdom and um, strength and peace on them as this plan unfolds to plant a church in Oak Valley, God. And we see you in their midst, and we thank you for the inspiration they are to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank, thank you, sister. Thank you. Thank you very much. So here's, here's really the question that's been haunting me as I've watched Ron and his team. It's a question that never really goes away. In fact, it's so curious to me that sometimes I sneak in on a Sunday morning and watch them as they eat their donuts out front and sip their hot drinks and they fill up the stage with praise musicians. Tom's got an amazing band that would scandalize uh, some of us. 
they're really very, very talented, uh, Christ-centered leaders. Here's what I wonder. They're in a facility that's been here for more than 40 years on Myrtlewood. They're in a church that has been here longer than Ron ever knew he wanted to preach the gospel. They are attracting people who live in the neighboring communities who have also been here in their family rooms playing games and in their lazy boys in the garage in the backyard at the Ukaipa Park shopping at Stater Brothers on the golf course. They are attracting people who have already been scattered among us. And the question I ask myself is, why are those 150 people, why did it take the well putting a sign out for them to consider a community when one was already here? Does anyone wonder the same thing? So I sneak in and I watch them. And he is right. We look so much alike it would scare you. They look just like us on Sunday mornings. The only difference I can understand at this point is that the 150 people who come here on Sunday are Tom and Ron's friends. They're Tom and Ron's colleagues. They're Tom and Ron's work associates. They're Tom and Ron's neighbors who are also going to be living out on Oak Valley Parkway. And they came because Tom and Ron and their friends wanted them to come. But there is, church, another 150 people out there who know you, who know me, who would come if we decided we wanted them to try this church home. The only difference between the two is the people we know. We know 150 people. The Gospel of John we studied from last week reminds us, John chapter 4 says, Go out and look at the fields. They're ready to harvest. There is plenty for you to reap that you didn't even plant. I have not given up the hope for a growing church in North America. The best God story, the most persuasive God story that will convince the world to consider God is right here among you, as I said last week. The challenge remains, will we just take the walk across the room and see what God has in front. It happens by grace alone. Amen. Now may the good God that you know, who calls you by name, give you the strength you need, give us the strength we need, church, to follow the Spirit wherever it blows. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Oh,